0: As a proud regional Queenslander, I always say, you know, I'm not a tree. I live in the regions because I want to live here, not because I can't live anywhere else. And I want to contribute to a viable and vibrant regional community. And I think that means that we need to really be across what's happening in our community and be prepared to create the community that we want to live in. And so the, the people piece of a smart community is really important to me. Hi,
1: smart community friends. Welcome back to the Smart Community podcast. This month, we are highlighting Smart Regions with two fantastic guests. If you haven't yet listened to our interview with Tim Neal in the last episode, I definitely recommend listening to it after this one. In this episode, I have a wonderful chat with repeat guest and Queensland's chief entrepreneur, Julia Spicer. We first had Julia on the podcast way back in episode 152, which was in January of 2020. In the before times. Now in this episode Julia and I discuss what smart community means for her and what has changed for Queensland regions since January of 2020. We talk about the COVID experience and how it can teach us about what rural communities experience in prolonged drought and other parallel type experiences. Julia tells us about the generosity of spirit that she sees coming through in regional Queensland and what COVID has taught us in terms of regional and industry-level resilience. Julia and I explore the role of technology and data when responding to crisis and the role of government in supporting people and businesses to modernise. We talk about the absolute necessity of internet connectivity and the challenges and opportunities for smart communities in regional areas. Julia then tells us about the project she's involved in as part of her role with the Office of the Chief Entrepreneur in Queensland, as well as the emerging trends of global workforce shortages and the need for sovereign capability in Australia to support supply chains and industries. We've our chat discussing how everyone in Queensland can leverage the opportunity of the Brisbane 2032 Olympics, even if you think it doesn't apply to you. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's It's where we live. Work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Julia. How are you today? Hello, Zoe. I'm very well. Lovely to see you. It's so great to see you. It's been way too long. We'll get into that in a second, but let's go to you who are you what are you passionate about
0: tell us about your background ah zoe so uh thank you for having me i am coming to you today from big country at gundawindi which is where i call home now i grew up in southwest queensland north of roma and uh certainly where you and i crossed paths at young well you were much younger than me but anyway i was young once And so my background is uh, working in community development and um, originally in the environmental space, working with land care and catchment groups. And in the last sort of 10 or 15 years, I guess that's moved into some of the regional economic development space. Very proudly, I have recently taken on the voluntary role with Queensland Government as Queensland's chief entrepreneur. I'm the fifth chief and I'm the first regional chief, so I'm really um, excited to be able to do this role uh, from Gundawindi. Certainly uh, have spent a bit of time in Brisbane in the last couple of months. I started on the 1st of December 2022, but certainly excited to see how we can really showcase uh, some of the exciting activity and you know, work that's happening around the regions in Queensland.
1: Awesome. Thanks for giving us that little update. I didn't realize it was only December that you took up the role because I feel like I've been hearing everything about it and I'm like, oh, my God, missed the boat. How long has she been in this role for? But, wow, what's happening so even since then? So amazing. Now, you've been on the podcast before. Uh, we were just having a bit of a look and it was in January of 2020. So, you know, we hadn't even heard of this thing called COVID-19 or it might have just been... People started talking about it because we would have recorded that at the end of 2019. So we're going to get into that in a minute around what has changed since then. But I'll go broad first because otherwise I'll forget and tell us what a smart community means
0: to you. Oh, I love this question. And listening to your podcast, I love the variety of answers you always get to this For me, there's a couple of bits. Uh, I guess one is around the people in the community for starters. So as a proud regional Queenslander, I always say, you know, I'm not a tree. I live in the regions because I want to live here, not because I can't live anywhere else. And I want to contribute to a viable and vibrant uh, regional community. And I think that means that you know, we need to really be across what's happening in our community and be prepared to, you know, create the community that we want to live in. And so the the people piece of a smart community is really important to me. And then the other part is, you know, and we'll talk about this, no doubt, is how are our communities changing? How are we in control of our destiny, for want of a better word? How do we make sure that we're proactively preparing our communities for the changes that are coming? And that might be around technology, that might be around infrastructure, uh, that might be around, you know, skills and services, but there's a piece around how do we contribute and also how are we, you know, how are we really making sure that our community is moving with the times that we're living in, knowing that they're happening, you know, those times are changing more and more quickly.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think um, from a regional perspective, as a a regional gal myself, although I'm, hanging out more and more in the city these days. But man, I love going back out to the regions again and been trying to work out a way to um, get back out there too. I had a really great conversation with Tim Neal on the podcast. I don't know if you know Tim Neal, he's very cool. And I'm just like, ah, oh, when can I come out and visit the farm please? And he said anytime. So I just got to work out how to get there.
0: As we lie Zoe, as we lie, you are welcome here anytime. Maybe we should
1: yeah, plan a road trip for sure. I used to be the area engineer for Gundawindi when I was work for government. So I did many a drive out to Gundawindi. But anyway, enough about me. I am keen. No, well, I was going to talk about, so the actual podcast we did last time was about resourcefulness and resilience in smart regions. That's what it was called. And I I think it really sets a really nice, I guess, foundation for after we recorded this podcast and released it, what we actually went into, right? There's, you know, on the podcast, we talked about natural disasters and that like, social fabric and all those type of things as well. Obviously, yeah, then we got hit with a pandemic and, you know, things shifted and changed for the regions um, in so many different ways and obviously some have shifted back, some have stuck. It's just a really big question. What has happened? What has changed? Where have we, you know, moved to since that January of 2020 when we last had this conversation?
0: Holy moly. So. Uh, just a little chat for a morning conversation. You're right in that when we spoke, it was just on the cusp of you know some of the biggest changes the whole world has ever seen, let alone regional areas. But maybe I can kind of talk through some of our experiences here, and and we can link that to maybe what we saw in other parts of um in other parts of Queensland, Australia, and you know maybe what was happening at a global level. I'm always really mindful to preface what I'm about to say with the fact that I understand that COVID was devastating for so many families, individuals, communities and particularly impacted some of our more populated areas. So I'm very mindful that, you know, in in Australia, Victoria and particularly in Melbourne, you know, they really had much longer and were probably more personally impacted by COVID than some of the rest of us. But if we think about it from a regional perspective, if we look at how we can understand each other between the regions and the cities, actually COVID in some little way gave people a little bit of an insight into what it's like when your community is in a prolonged drought. You don't know when it's going to end, you don't know how it's going to impact you, Uh, You don't know when, you know, what's going to happen as a result of it. You've got no control over it. So in some ways, the personal and the mental strain of COVID for all of us as Australians is in some ways can be compared with how communities feel and are impacted by drought. And so I say that not to compare, but just to help people understand what then we can learn when areas go into drought and it seems like it's not something that impacts us? Well, actually, we we now maybe have a better way of understanding where people are, are dealing with things and what's going on. And interestingly, before COVID happened, a few of us were having conversations around how do we support people and hold people in rural communities when there's a drought, when there's a prolonged drought, when jobs are not... You know, when we're losing jobs, which means we're losing people and families out of a region and they don't come back when it rains, wouldn't it be good if we had some base payment that people could access that would hold them and all of the rest of it? And people were like, that sounds like a good idea, but we don't know how we'd do that. And then a little bit later, JobKeeper, JobStarter, all of the things started and people were like, oh, that's a little bit like what we were talking about with the drought, which in some ways is really good, right, because it means we can use that in other ways you know, if ever we need to. We have a mechanism now of looking at how do we make sure that people don't fall through the cracks during really traumatic experiences like COVID, like a drought, like whatever it might be. So I kind of I flagged that as a way to start this conversation because I actually think it created the opportunity for actually the regions and the cities to really come together and for us to be smarter around how we did business, how we communicated we all know what Zoom and Teams and Google Meets are now, you know, so, so we actually can do business quite differently and we can engage quite differently now as a result of COVID having happened to all of us across the globe. So, so I really just kind of want to draw the links. The other thing that happened, which I want to really flag as I think one of the beautiful silver linings of COVID is the generosity of spirit. That happened across Australia, uh, and and let me talk specifically around Queensland because I know what happened. Right, our borders were closed. People weren't traveling overseas. People weren't having their holidays and spending their, you know, their savings overseas uh, that they might otherwise do, and so they spent it in the regions. So the people that we got to meet down the main street of Gundawindi, who were from the Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast or Brisbane or somewhere else, who were doing a road trip around Southwest Queensland, who were stopping in Gundawindi to buy shoes and stopping in St George to, you know, buy outfits and stopping in Roma to do something else was just remarkable. On a daily basis, we were meeting people in our communities who thought that they could and should come and spend some money in the regions. And if that was happening in southwest Queensland, I'm sure it was happening across the rest of the state, right? And it was amazing. Like it was the best of our state coming together to do some of those things. And so in any sort of crisis or tragedy we also see the best of humanity right and we and we see the best of humans and i think we did see that in covid as well and i'm not taking away as i said at the beginning you know i know that there was a lot of heartache and you know particularly some of the you know the health services were were drawn on more than any of the rest of us ever would have thought but i just wanted to kind of share a couple of those quick insights and things that we got to see in our in our community as a result of covid I guess there's a couple of other things we saw at a from a trends perspective, but just just to kind of start there with a couple of those things. I don't know Zoe if you saw saw that with some of your travel as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think drawing that parallel to a drought is is a really um interesting one that I hadn't really thought about too much myself, but it, it makes a lot of sense. And it just kind of that you know it was a unique experience in the sense that it was global, but it wasn't a unique experience. Individuals have experience similar and potentially worse in some cases you know on a day-to-day basis um depending on to the periods of their life or the the seasons of the characters the chapters of people's lives so i think that's a really interesting one because it was you know this big crisis on a global scale but yeah individuals have this the breadth of that crisis at an individual level i suppose but it's that kind of generosity of spirit that you were talking about that comes from like that social fabric we were talking about earlier, you know, coming together because we're all experiencing this together, you know, the hashtag, we're in this together, all those type of things. When you're going through it by yourself or just your community and people can't quite grasp what, you know, a drought, for example, can, you know, the devastation that causes, you're missing some of that social fabric. And so you potentially can be much more lonely, um, much more, you know, devastating on an individual level. And so I think, and not to, yeah, I guess, again, prefacing with we know, like, the devastation that COVID-19 caused and continues to cause, but just, I think, appreciating some of those learnings and drawing those parallels so then we can, you know, again, build resilience as we move forward in this I think is a really important one.
0: Well, and I think if we look at resilience at a regional and industry level, you know, I think one of the opportunities that, again, comes from something like COVID happening is, as a nation, we kind of got to see where we're slightly vulnerable in terms of being able to access goods and services from our global, you know, at a global level. So, we realised, actually, what have we taken offshore? You know, where are we solely reliant on one supplier? And if we cannot get that into the country, what does that actually mean for us? So, I think, you know, if we look forward now a few years from this, what this means, you know, we're hearing the term around sovereign capability a lot more now. What does that look like in terms of how do we do business differently? What are the opportunities for us to create new products so that we're not so reliant? You know, that's an exciting space to be in, right? That's an exciting space to look at. Well, what does you know, what can our manufacturing industries look like moving forward? What does it look like in terms of how we're going to continue to feed and clothe people if we can't always access fertilizers and chemicals that we need to be able to do that? So we're sort of maybe in a bit of still this valley of uncertainty, let's call it. But there's some awesome opportunities on the horizon for us now too, if we look at, you know, what is the next you know, decade look like for us and how do we learn from some of the challenges that we've had at that industry and service capability perspective.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you're talking about the generosity of spirit, we see that during those natural disasters and then we learn and then we, you know, we appreciate it at the time or, or whatever the word is there. But we don't necessarily want those disasters to happen, right? But we do want to build that we want to capture that resilience and, you know, that we're we're not just coming together because there's a disaster, but we've learned those skills and then realize how important it is. And I also often think about it from a well being perspective. So if you, you know, bring it to that individual again, it's like rather than just, oh, I'm really stressed. So now I'm going to go and look after myself because I'm to the point where I'm burnt out. It's actually that maintenance period. So it's like, oh, even though, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to yoga because I know that it helps my mental health, not I'm not in a crisis now, but I'm just maintaining that level of well-being or whatever the case is. I often
0: think about it like that as well. A hundred percent. How do we, you know, so the whole prevention's better than cure, right, is certainly one piece of it. And, I mean, I think the other thing that, you know, happened again through COVID out of necessity was that people were prepared to make decisions quickly. They were prepared to try things, you know government departments came together really quickly and looked at, well, what do we need? How can we support? What's a grant? What's a subsidy? What's a whatever? We don't need to get everything perfect. We just need to make some things and we can fix it along the way. You know, that was actually fabulous. You know, that was amazing that people could come together and do that so quickly. How do we make some of that business as usual as well, right? You know, how do we we support and, and do some of that? So, you know, I think there were a lot of you know, really good examples. And your point around, you know, how do we take some of this past the point of crisis when we're back into normal living is a really important one. And then I think that's one that, you know, bosses, business leaders, whoever it might be, I think, you know, we really play a part in setting that example, as well as encouraging our teams and our people to do it.
1: Mm. and I think like the role of technology and data in this was also huge and again like you said didn't necessarily get it right all the time but we had to make decisions quickly we had to you know shift and move and play and and work out and again it's it's then being able to use those tools that we have available the data that we have available what data did we need and but also even like obviously people asking questions is an important one too like What are we doing with this data afterwards? All those type of things. I think there were some things that were good, some things that were bad, whatever, whatever. But it's actually then being more aware as a community and asking those questions. I mean, a lot of times, it was bloody information overload? And I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? But yeah, getting people to ask questions and realize that, you know, to be able to shift and change, you actually need that data at your fingertips, the information at your fingertips, both from an individual perspective and then like, you know, at that macro level as well you know, when things are shifting so rapidly, that information layer is so key and you need to use technology to help us do that, but then also realise that the channels um, that uh, we just assume, you know, I might have on my smartphone or whatever, not everyone has those. So you also then need to think about the language of the community, both from an actual language perspective as well, but those channels that um, need to go to the community as well. So in regional areas, if the internet isn't amazing or whatever. But then it also really highlights to me That strong internet connection and a device to connect to it, it has to be a human right these days. Because if you didn't have that, you just could not get the information you need to stay safe, to connect, you know, all those type of things. And that, yeah, internet connectivity as a human right, I think, really was strong for me. And I mean, obviously, the regions have been talking about this, again, for years. And in some cases, I was very surprised because I was like, oh, my God, how, like, I used to have to record my, this is not a big issue, but <laughs> I used to record my podcast, not on MBM but on my phone, because the NBN would go up and down. And so I couldn't actually record a podcast. Then during COVID, I don't know, something happened, something worked. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, um, how am I going to talk to people? But I think something came together, and some decisions got made quickly. And then, you know, that internet kind of worked for me. I was in Toowoomba etc. But thinking about those things again, like you were talking about, decisions can be made quickly when there's something that we really think is important. And I don't think it necessarily just has to be a crisis, but it has to be something that we have all got on board with and, and, and said, this is a big deal and it needs to be solved or, you know, addressed in a certain way. And I think that works from, you know, awareness, focus and then action. And I think the regions are, you know, the first moves in a lot of this space, like poor necessity, right? And innovation by necessity
0: yeah and i think again you, so definitely internet connection i mean i remember i was running webinars and things helping people to use zoom so we were doing that with some landcare groups around the regions that had realized that they were going to have to take all of their meetings online they would needed to take all of their board meetings online and they had a difference of you know there were some generational challenges let me say so that we you know they needed to teach people how to use zoom and how to unmute and let's not put the cat filter on if you can never turn it off again. Can't, you know, we saw all of the funny stories happen. But, I mean, the other thing that happened was in some circumstances it made regional businesses understand that if they are going to be a resilient business, they need an online presence, right? So look at the work that Buy From The Bush did, that Grace did with through the drought again in terms of getting businesses online, the economic development that that's created the economic growth that that's created for small rural businesses. COVID did the same in terms of getting people online, right? You know, we cannot live in a world these days where somebody cannot find you unless they are in downtown Gundawindi or Roma or Toowoomba or whatever. So so I think, you know, it was really good to see people, it was really good to see the support there and funding there to help people get onto, you know, setting up a website page, being able to work out how to, you know, have people buy their goods and services online, I think that was a really important space to, you know, we needed businesses to get there. COVID in some ways helped them get there much more quickly, but the support was there financially to also do it because, you know, again, moving forward, the world is a global shopping cart, right? You know, we need to be able to be in that space. That's probably a bit harder if you're the tire tire shop in Gundawindi but for lots of other businesses you know they needed an online presence and they had been avoiding it for whatever reason covid certainly got them there a lot quicker so i think you know there's some opportunities you know to to move people into a much more modern business platform and space as well you know how do the businesses use their data now how are they using that to look at you know from a business resilience perspective how do they get some ideas now around you know, what are their products or services that are the most profitable? What are the ones that sell the best? Where are they selling to and how do they then use that to determine where they market? You know, I think there's still certainly some work for for some of that to occur so that if they are trying to grow their business, they're using the data that they've collected now in a really clever way to identify what that looks like. And, again, that's a skill set that probably a lot of us don't have. So it's how can we connect to small businesses and startups with the sort of you know with the people that are good at being able to help us not only see how we can use our data but use it to make decisions in the business I think there's a really you know that'll be the next space I think for some of this you know for some of the businesses to look at.
1: Yeah totally and I think like you know obviously talk about smart communities it's not just for local governments and state governments and you know other agencies it's the tools and like the I guess the methodology and like the you know process and the thinking and the Mindset behind it helps you know the smallest of businesses and the largest because again, it's about knowing what tools are in you in your belt and and knowing how to use them and then picking the ones that you know you need at that certain time. And for me, it's yeah that real mindset shift that we can do things differently. That it's not all oh certain forget okay cool I'll live my life. Someone else will make the decisions for us. And we know in regional areas that you can't do that right. Like you can't just wait. Well, you can, but, you know, it's not the future that you want, right?
0: Well, I also think the other thing for me that came up or, you know, and it's not my area, but uh, you know me, can and will throw an opinion around, is this space of actually how do the regions work together from a tourism perspective? And so if we if we bring in the local councils and we think about, you know, 2023 is a year of accessible tourism in Queensland We think about the fact that we've got the Olympics that will be here in, you know, less than a decade now. How are there opportunities for us to work together to create really great uh, experiences for people where it's not competing, you know, Gundawindi is not competing with St. George for tourists. We're actually working together. Come to Gundawindi and do this activity, then go on to St. George and do this, you know, and actually looking at what that means in terms of creating experiences, creating packages, creating opportunities. You know, the Northern Territory and Northern Western Australia is known for its awesome First Nations sites, you know, for Indigenous culture, for the beautiful artwork, as it rightly should. Equally, that's all over Queensland, right? How do we actually engage and help and support and grow so that when we do get overseas Uh, tourists coming back again and and then, you know, that they're more and more coming back to Australia. How, you know, how do we do it where they don't actually have to go to the middle of the Northern Territory to have a really beautiful and strong Indigenous experience? They can do that in Gundawindi. They can do that in the Bunya Mountains. They can do that at Kanamala, you know. So I actually think in terms of how we can connect and how we can really create, again, some of that community piece, How are we looking at, you know, where people are travelling and moving, you know, how do we get local councils to work together around some of this tourism space so that we're actually really, you know, creating that, you know, we're creating the connections and we're creating this impactful regional tourism opportunity that is genuinely accessible to everybody.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's like that smart region approach, you know, it's something we talked about last time on the podcast as well, and I guess, like you know, you think about from a tourism perspective, but then that same model methodology then can expand into other things as well, and and you know, businesses, supply chain, all those type of things. So I think that's really key, and you know, getting people to experience regional Queensland, our uh, regional areas, and then you know maybe they do decide, oh, well, actually, yeah, I could live here. The cost of living's low and well low, lower, and but I can still do my my job remotely and maybe I travel every now and then whatever the case is there's a lot of opportunity for that as well.
0: Correct which means there's also then a lot of opportunity to look at how we can work in this housing space right so whilst all of the regions want more people we actually don't have a lot of houses for them to live in at the moment so what does that look you know that for me from a smart what you know a smart community that creates so much opportunity how are we building More resilient homes? How are we making sure that we're considering climate, you know, the impact of climate? How are we considering green architecture? How are we making our homes smarter? What does that look like? I think that is the other thing for me in the next few years. I think we know we need homes, but let's not build them for this problem that we've got today. Let's make sure that we're building homes and infrastructure for what we need over the next 20 years.
1: Yeah. And like along with that, you know, the transport options. With that, and like you know the land use and those type of things, like okay, well, let's not just you know build sprawling suburbs where there's no footpaths, but actually thinking about walking, cycling, different types of public transport, you know it has to be, you have to think differently when you don't have that density, correct. but it's not impossible, and I think, yeah, starting to focus on those things and really set up models for the future is really, really important, and using the tech and data at our fingertips to be able to do such a thing as well. Yeah, agreed. Looking at the time. What a time. What a time it's been. Um, OK, now there's still a lot to cover. I want to go to the future, but is there anything else you want to share in terms of projects, exciting things happening before we go to the future? Oh,
0: well, I could talk with you all day, Zoe, but I think probably we've covered a few bits and pieces. I guess if we've got people who are listening, particularly Queensland-based people who are listening, it would be really great to be able to connect with them through the Office of the Queensland Chief Entrepreneur, if I can just do a quick little plug for that. Uh, So we've got some areas over the next 18 months that we're really wanting to focus on in terms of the programs that we deliver ourselves, the events that we might partner with people on and the activity we want to be able to help leverage from the from the innovation community and this is across Queensland right this is not just for the regions but we're really looking at you know there's a whole lot of transition that's happening at the moment and how can we be helping people with that that transition around into new industries there's a you know the jobs and energy plan is going to provide awesome opportunities there's a whole lot of work happening so how do we make sure that our innovation ecosystem has a has a role along the supply chain with that? Uh, we want to make sure we can be connecting people. So, you know, who do you need to be able to do what you're doing? What support do you need? That kind of thing. And the other is, for me, is really around this piece of impact. So, start scale-ups, unicorns are really important to our economy. So are social enterprises. So, uh, you know, so are businesses that want to scale at a sustainable rate and really continue to do good in their communities. And so, they're the sorts of conversations that we want to be having. So, if people are keen to be part of them you know, find us on all of the socials. Yes.
1: I'm really excited to see what kind of comes about in the next year. I'm, I'm excited to have a regional chief entrepreneur. Um, so congrats on that. It's going to be amazing. And, like, I know all the great work um, that, you know, your predecessors have done as well and just kind of, you know, build but also shifting and changing because you can make it your own, right? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm really, really keen. Now. Let's go to the future then and let's talk about what are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? I mean, I think we've already talked about some of them, but yeah,
0: what do you reckon? Yeah, we maybe have talked about them, but let's kind of summarise them again. So emerging trends, you know, I think we're going to hear more and we need to look more about this sovereign capability. So how can we continue to look after ourselves? We are an island. (laughs) And COVID helped identify some of the challenges there. So again, what's the innovation opportunity around supply chain? What does that mean in terms of new industries? And that might be new ways of growing food or it might be whole new industries. But I think we're going to, you know, we're going to continue to see some more work happen around that space with the lens of sustainability, with the lens of impacted climate, with the lens of, you know, technology and data. So I think that I think that's going to be a really this holistic way of looking at things I think is going to be really important and we're going to see some more of that. I think I'm excited to see what Australia or Queensland, let me talk about Queensland, I'm really excited to see what Queensland really wants to be known for and where we can really own a space, I guess. You know, is it going to be agri-food and ag-tech? Is it going to be climate tech? and renewables you know what is it that we want to really be able to show to the world how a region like Queensland can really deliver on some of the challenges that we're all seeing and i still think we're going to be dealing you know this the trend of there being a global shortage of workforce is going to continue so what are some innovative ways in which we can tackle that i think is still going to be something that we're going to see a lot of in the next you know at least in the next couple of years But with any of those challenges, I think there's lots of opportunity and I think there's a way that Australia and Queenslanders we're gonna find our own unique way of dealing with that that will be very place based. And I think I think that's gonna be the thing we kind of will be able to do well.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's gonna be an interesting time and and like you, you know, mentioned earlier in Queensland and particularly, that's where we are. It's where your focus is at the moment. How do we leverage those big opportunities that are coming our way So, for the olympics for example how do we do that really differently to be sustainable but also really leverage or what's the word just like exploit exploit the opportunities in regional areas to or yeah leverage that opportunity in regional areas we'll get it right one day just thinking about like really and and we need to start yesterday right like you know it seems a while in the future sometime but These are the conversations that need to happen now. And I often talk about, you know, big, when we think about big infrastructure projects and things, how do you get into the, uh, you know, the planning to embed some of this, you know, maybe it's smart technology, that type of thing, but also the community values and, you know, connections for, if I'm thinking about transport project, those last and mile connections that, you know, people may not be thinking about, but again, that's shifting that mindset to kind of go, oh, like you know obviously we need to get this big project happening but then at the end when you get off um, at the end what other things do we need to connect in back into our communities and and how can that be done differently i think there's massive opportunity at the moment and it is a really exciting time to be moving forward in this space.
0: and i think part of that so two quick things i think there's a tremendous amount of work being done to look at how these olympics can be really successful across a multitude of ways. And I think, you know, we've got a legacy committee. There's, you know, there's people doing a lot of work within a range of different government departments around making sure, you know, they can learn from previous Olympics. We can, you know, be really clear around what that's gonna look like. So I think there's some stuff happening there. I think the other bit though too is sometimes what happens is a business goes, if, you know, Julia goes Olympics, I am not known for my athletic or sporting ability. The Olympics have got nothing to do with me. And we take ourselves out of the game too early, quite literally, to see that there's any way that we could link with an event like that. And that would be a mistake for a lot of us. You know, this ag industries need to be talking about how we're going to do this. It's not just the period of time for the Olympics. What's happening after the Olympics? What's the business that gets done? You know, so... I think uh, what I hope is in over the next decade, what starts to happen is people realise that actually there's probably not any business in Queensland that can't capitalise on the Olympics occurring, you know, in 2032. And so it's about thinking differently about where your business or community group or social enterprise actually fits in. Because if we only see it as a sporting event, we've missed a massive opportunity. And I think that'll be the thing to really, You know, it's easy for people to say, oh, it's happening in Brisbane. It's not going to impact me in Quilpie or Normanton or Julia Creek. Well, that's probably a missed opportunity and we need to challenge a bit of that and, you know, provide some ideas of where those businesses and entities might fit. Mm, Yeah, I, I totally agree.
1: Julia, it's been so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. We'll meet in 3D soon. Please. Let's get that in the calendar. But, yeah, thanks again for coming on the podcast. You told us a little bit about the Chief Entrepreneur and
0: where people can connect with you. But, um, yeah, where else can people connect with you? Uh, So I, from a day job, Julia, uh, engage and create consulting is still always the best. So our Facebook page, Instagram, I think on Instagram we're just at engage and create, no consulting. But Facebook, and you'll find me on LinkedIn, Julia Spicer, OAM. I know,
1: congratulations, I meant to bring that up earlier, massive congrats, yeah, I mean obviously well-deserved, not surprising but just always amazing to be recognised
0: in that space, yeah. That was, yeah, it was pretty amazing, thank you. So we thanks for all your work too, I'm always happy to have a conversation with you on the podcast if it's useful but I really, you know, we have some of our communities at the stage and space that they're at because they have been able to work with you, have you come and, you know, do projects with them. So thanks and congratulations on all your work.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's a, I was thinking about, you know, reflecting our podcast birthday is very soon, although this episode might go out after it, but it's 23rd of February. So, um, yeah, it's been a week of reflection because I have to record an episode. Well, I don't have to. I want to record an episode and so, yeah, it's a good week of reflection, which I'll have to take the weekend to, you know, think about. Where we've come from and then, yeah, where we're heading as well. So thank you. Um, I always get massive energy, you know, talking to people like yourself. And thank you. I, I love it. Pleasure, Zoe. Have a great Friday. I think that's all. I've asked you all the questions. We'll say goodbye. Thanks, Julia. Bye, Zoe.
0: Thanks. Bye. The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're trying to deal with disruption, not sure what technologies to buy, need to facilitate genuine collaboration, then we can help. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community forward slash consulting.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.com community slash If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at smartcomhq. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.